what is project-based learning to this this bigger conversation, which I was I was looking up like exactly what in the world your title was at at, at, at the K twelve lab, you know, and it says designer of experiences, systems thinker, and social justice advocate, and I think that that's so important. So, um, I guess the, the question I have, or maybe for you to, to 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 chime in on, is you know, I think a lot of people are still learning what project-based learning is, but a lot of people are going, okay, so. Um, there's a bigger piece that's missing, you know, and I think like your job title, the social justice advocate and, and learning experiences is, is this next wave that I think a lot of people are trying to wrap their heads around, um, you know, and so in your experience, and I know you've had a lot of it, both at high tech high and then probably also at Stanford, like how do you start to marry all those? Um, because they all seem, I guess, like I'm thinking like the educated, like all these big words seem like really big undertakings, but really they're all mm-hmm. trying to serve a, a, a central goal. And so how have you seen those worlds mesh and ebb and flow, you know, mm. through, through your career? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great question. And I think that like sometimes, you know, in my own evolution as a educator, I think I got brought into education of like, I'm going to do good in the world and I'm going to get trained up on how to teach these standards. And then, then, you know, you get into a classroom with, you know, 40 some odd students, right? And you get a schedule and then you get the standards and then you get the measurements and then you realize that like 45 days out of a year, a quarter of your year is like dedicated to standardized tests, um, right? Or you are supposed to teach one book, but you can only teach it in the spring because someone else teaches it in the fall. All these like, <laughs> all these like, what I, what we consider the, like the operationalizing of, of teaching and I think to kind of answer your question, um, I think I think about part of like this work and the evolution of, of uh, my work and I think all of our work is getting back to what is our why of like why we're doing this work and what is the vehicle that's going to get you back into like this this why why you're why you're still an educator why are you still an educator what excites you. Um, you and I've known each other for a while and you go through iterations of yourself of like assessment, STEM, project-based learning, <laughs> robotics, you've got the, the books. I mean, all these things like your Twitter channel. And I think part of it is like why I'm still doing this work and why I continue this work is how do we really help educators get back to what is their aspiration in education and what is that? how do they create a collective aspiration with their kids? And if you get clear on that and if you can go back to that intention, then the actual pedagogy comes through that design comes through that project-based learning comes through that stem comes through that i think where we make the mistake um and i think for those of you you know who have studied project-based learning or design is that we think they're the thing it becomes the thing that you teach or the way you do whether it's stem making whatever it is and while that is a vehicle to get to you to like engagement standards um collaboration, deeper learning skills, what have you, they're just vehicles, right? They're just ways of creating some structure to a deeper why. And so, you know, the long-winded answer, I guess, to your question of like all these different titles is like, forget the titles. It's like, what are you really wanting to do? Do you want to see kids' faces light up? If you're thinking about doing a project, it's not about the project. It's about what is going to help this young person in front of you connect to their authentic aspiration in the world. And how are you going to help them rediscover themselves they already have it in them right they already have all these great assets and it often is hidden it's pushed down but how do we design learning experiences that help people get back to that and if we can do it as educators then then there's the aspiration that we can do it with our students yeah and so i think that's what it's about i love that and you know as you were framing it as students and as you were talking i I can't help but but think of of 
teachers as well. Like, and I wonder how many educators, um, maybe they've forgotten their why or deep down when they're home and reflecting and the pressures aren't on them from all the things that are on the pressures of, of educators and administrators, anybody in education um, face that most, I would say most, but I think like, like majority of them do know their why. But what mm-hmm. I, what I see, and I don't, maybe you see it differently is like, I see more and more educators who have lost their confidence in themselves. Mm-hmm. And that, alarms me in a lot of ways and that loss of confidence I think comes through a variety of things um, maybe not the greatest leadership or, or trying something and being told that it wasn't good enough I mean the list can go on and on, on but regardless of that, I feel like there's these teachers that they know their why they know why they're in the classroom but yet something has happened where their confidence isn't there and if they don't yeah. have the confidence the kids aren't going to have the confidence you know and that's really what, we're, what, what we want and now you've got this friction because you want to get out of the kids what you can't see in yourself in the in the mirror. And so I didn't, I didn't know if, if you see similar things, because I think what we all want to do is obviously instill the confidence and all these, these important skill sets and these experiences for kids. But sometimes I'm like, do we, do, do we jump the gun a little bit and do we need to do, do, do a better job of taking care of our, of our educators first? Mm. I mean, I think it's a both and, right? I think you mentioned yeah. two things about like, Absolutely. I think it's both, you know, and of course, if you're not taking care of yourself, you're not going to help students. But so there's, there's that factor. I think the other thing that you mentioned, I mean, I think when I think about most professional development, by no means all, and I think there's a lot of great PD out in the world, predominantly the structure is, it's teaching an educator that they're not doing something yet. Mm. <laughs> Either it's like, you're, you need to do this pedagogy, you need to do this training, you have to go to this thing, because whatever you're doing is not working. And it's really altered up in a deficit mindset. And some of it's real. it doesn't mean that it's actually not good. Right. But the stuff is good. It ha- has nothing to do with the content, but the framing is that what you're doing is actually not enough. Is that you don't have the talent or there is this like messaging that like that great lesson that you did last week is actually not what we're trying to do. And so I think when you think about the creative confidence or the confidence that you mentioned, why I think is stifling, and I can think back to my own teaching experience in a comprehensive school, is that you know, I had 200 kids a day and I had to be scripted into this lesson plan of what you're supposed to do when I had uh, lots of other things that I could have done. <laughs> right. That was not what I got trained to do. in you know, and like when I got my credential, like yeah. all these other great things. And so I think there is that messaging of like, how do we reimagine professional development from a really assets based mentality that teachers already are doing great things in their classroom? How do you actually learn from that? And how do we dive into like, the brilliance that's happening within classrooms and recognizing the brilliance of adults and students that are doing the work every day. I think when you think about why creative confidence or confidence in trying new things is that basically there has been very little faith that like you already are doing it, right? The, the supposition, it doesn't exist. Yeah. And so we need to give you this new thing so that you can learn to be confident or creative or whatever it is. So I think that to me is like one, right? That, that framing yeah, is just yeah. off. And, and, and I, and I, and I will say I've contributed to that narrative. I've experienced that narrative. Like we all have, you know? So I think that naming and the narrative needs to shift. And then the second piece that I think with respect to like trying new things and being what we call in our lab is like, you know, cultivating creative confidence is people often, I mean, there's so many trainings you go through and you're like, okay, I have to do 1200 things or I have this entire unit that I have to implement or I have to do this massive project over, but and all of it's good stuff. But you don't build creative confidence by saying asking people to run a marathon on the first day. You build it right by small steps, by trying something new that doesn't has low stakes, that's heuristic, that gives people like 
a small win as you go to build the confidence and make changes along the way. So I think part of that framing is this question of like, you're not going to confident up and then I'm going to give you something that you're actually not going to do well at for six weeks and then ask people why they didn't do it well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, well, it's, 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 I find it so fascinating. Um, that you bring that up one because you're the you're now the third person in a row who I've had conversation on PBL for for the podcast that has now brought up this this idea of like we don't have to start off with this two month monstrous let's save the whole world type project um, you know and and my own philosophy is those are those are boundaries I like to push myself because I've been in it a while but at the same time it's also like it's a monster like you know like you have to start, everyone's at, at their point A trying to get their own point B and we have to celebrate whatever those journeys are, whether that's your, you know, if we relate it to running the marathon, we just had the Quad City Marathon here, you know, whether you start with the couch to 5K or, or you've been running marathons for years trying to get a PR, like we have to celebrate those victories wherever they are. And I think that's so important. But what I find fascinating with you is because, you know, you, and you've probably heard this a million times, so you're probably going to throw up a little bit in your mouth, but like people come to High Tech High and they see all the, I'm going to call it the glitz and the glamour, but really is it, it's, it's to show people the possibilities of what can happen. You know, and mm-hmm. when you look on social media, it's always like this big project here, 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 here. Like, how do you help educators and the people that you work with understand that, like, yes, those things are there and they're good and they're powerful, but like shrink it down. Like, you know, it, it reminds me a lot of like the, what we see with kids dealing with, with, with social media and the anxiety and, you know, thinking they're not good enough because it looks like everybody's happy 24 seven on the Instagram, but we have the same kind of thing happening in the educator world. So mm-hmm. could you expand on that a little bit? Cause I'm really fascinated mm-hmm. because you were in quote unquote, the Mecca of PBL, mm-hmm. you know, for mm-hmm. all of us that, you know, aren't at high tech high. And I, I mean, I know you're at Stanford now, but like, how, how do you shrink that down? How do you navigate those channels to mm-hmm. – because then I think people feel like, well, I did it, but it's it's not good enough. You know, like you're – it's, mm-hmm. it's that, that negative talk that we're all mm-hmm. guilty of. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's a great question because I think that like when I see – so one of the things that I think is really important is like I'm designing a project. I'm doing a project with students. And we jump to I'm doing a project to forget the learning piece of it. It's project-based learning. Right. right. And using the projects as a vehicle. And we all have experience with learning and every teacher, you know, whether they realize it or not, or know that they're all learning experience designers. We design our classrooms. We design whatever the structure is to get students to talk. We design group work. Um, we may design a project, right? We may not, but we all have that intrinsic um, ability and also experience of designing learning experiences with students and for kids. And so whether it's a lecture, you know, to like go from one spectrum, if I'm lecturing to 50 kids, that's a learning experience, yeah, right? Right. It is, it is one learning experience. It is a learning experience. Or if I'm doing a project where the kids are out in the, you know, on a raft and not, and they're developing a raft or they're doing water testing, that's a learning experience too. And so I think the question I have around like the question of how do you get started or the forget about the glitz and like what's the product itself, which is partly why I'm a big firm believer in design, is what is the learning experience that are going to get students engaged with each other on an authentic topic that they think is valuable to the world and to themselves. Mm. And that doesn't have to be a big book. It doesn't have to be a wheel. It doesn't have to be a big poster. It actually is probably done in conversation. And it could be as simple as like what what am I hoping to change in my house? Like, how do you actually go to a small grain? What is the smallest grain project or learning experience that you can design with kids 
that allows you to push everyone beyond their comfort zone slightly be not out of their comfort zone right but slightly beyond it yeah. and that cycle right it's not about them it's the learning experience and i think that for those of you you know and you said coming to a school or coming to the d school or um, or a school like Haitakai, you get overwhelmed by the product itself yes the right. product supersedes and i think when you're living that environment or you're living here that you know at, at the d school in design is that it's actually the process and it's the constant evolution of learning and metacognition of reflecting on what you learned trying to do it differently and i think sometimes when you see the evolution of a product itself that gets lost mm. like oh it's an amazing thing i can't do that well yeah you, you actually can because that person started by just having students work in a small group and talk about what interests them yeah right that's not that challenging and and then where do i go with that um and i think it's the it's not about the project it's about how do i design really authentic learning experiences with my students and that that's an open-ended challenge and that looks very different yeah. and as well as as well it should yeah, it reminds me. It's it's funny as you're talking. I can't help but visualize. Um, I'm really gonna date myself here, but like Saturday morning cartoons, like Pee Wee Herman's Playhouse, like the big foil ball. Like as a kid, like I want that foil ball, but there's no way I'm ever, you know. But really, what it is, it's 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 one little piece at a time. You know, you still got, you know, yeah. it's the same thing with our classroom, like. It can start with Socratic seminar and mm-hmm. and also realize when you do get an opportunity to visit places that, that have the, these beautiful end products, also keep in mind the amount of time they put into it. And I like, I like to tell mm-hmm. educators, it's no different for us to sit there and look at someone's piece that, that's out on display where you see it online and go, well, I can't do that. And then mm-hmm. be frustrated by by the process when it's when we get just as frustrated when you're, when like the admin doesn't come in and see what you do as a profession every single day. They come in for five minutes once a year, and then you get frustrated that they don't actually see your struggles. Like it's mm-hmm. the same kind of thing, you know. And it's mm-hmm. it's all easy to, to kind of, kind of get mm-hmm. get consumed in that. But I think it's a very important point. So I'm glad you talked about yeah. that. You know, and and maybe one thing to kind of segue into this, I was listening to you. You had like a Q and A for um, the EduChange um, conference last mm. year in Australia, um, and you said something that I I think is is so powerful. And I so I wanted to bring it up because um, you said it in a one line. It wasn't really the point of the question, but I think it's something that that that. A lot of people need to think about when we talk about project-based learning or creating the, these experiences for kids. And you were talking about, um, I forget what, what the question was that she asked you, um, but you were talking about like at High Tech High or at Stanford now, like it's more than the projects. Like like what we're doing in these experiences is not about the projects. It's about what we what you were doing at High Tech High was an equity experience, experiment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that has just resonated with me so much. Um, so, so as as you think about what you're doing at High Tech High, especially what you're doing at Stanford, like, how do you help people understand that what we're what everyone's trying to do is that it's not about the project itself, which is kind of an occurring theme of this conversation, but it's about these these experiences or this equity experiment, as you said in, in that conversation. Like, what are the things we need to think about that often gets overlooked? You know, so mm-hmm. it goes beyond. I'm going to download this project template. I'm going to download and use this protocol. Uh, I'm going to use this rubric. All very important. I'm not downplaying those, but we miss. I think something that's even more essential that that has to permeate around and underneath in order for any sort of project or learning experience to work mm-hmm. like where are we missing i think that i mean and that's where i think you know going into design we often think about empathy work notice and observation and i think part of doing really great design work 
and whether you're designing a project or taking on a challenge, whatever it is, is noticing um, who is not whose needs are not being met. And that is an essential question that every teacher can take up is like in my classroom, whose needs are not being met right now? And how do I we often think about extreme users, but like if I can design with that student in mind, right, the kid who for, you know, maybe the child who, you know, walks in from to in school every day and has two or three brothers and sisters, maybe works at night. Like who is the need? What is the need that is not being met within your school? And there is the individual classroom level of my students in front of me. Then there's the school. Then there's the community. And I think that like if we really can design some really interesting learning experiences that are shaped at helping have those needs being seen right? Or helping this person actually discover who they, they, they want to become, or who they are, then we're going to be on this track to what does it mean to really reimagine school for the equitable outcomes for all kids or equally high outcomes for all students. And I think if you can just start with that, like looking at your classroom, who's not, who's, who's being marginalized, who's not being seen, and who is being swept under the rug in pursuit of something else. And so, and what does that mean as a designer? Does that mean I had to go talk to them? What's going on there? Yeah. How do I shadow the experience of my students? And I think all of it is in pursuit of this equity dream that we're trying to think about schools and schools are in pursuit of that. And I think as, as a classroom teacher, my job is to really see the kids who are often invisible or not seen. And, and, and that's how I, that projects happen to be or design challenges or happen to be one way of getting there, right? To help yeah. people to see those or reimagine those or help people be seen and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, it's always about that. Um, and that means really being keen, being a keen observer who's sitting by themselves, who hasn't spoken today. What's at, what's the affect that the student is coming in with? Are they angry? Are they sad? Are they putting their head down? What's the moment of pause that we need to take as educators to bring this empathetic lens of like, Oh, the student's not engaged in this work right now what's going on is it is it because i designed a really bad lesson which is very, <laughs> like that's that's real or or they have something else going on and what what's that moment and i think that like that is to me probably the most important thing that educators do every single day is they become really good at noticing and observing and the question is what do you do with that i, I think we yeah. all see it and then what's the, what when you see it what are you going to do about it yeah and i think that's yeah. something that to me has really been on, on my mind a lot lately maybe more so this school year even though the school year is still still short here i mean it's just started here in, in the states yeah. but i feel like we're like we're at we're at this pivotal point where um, lots of voices are coming to the scene which is so important that we're finally getting away from the typical white male voice you know i'm looking at myself in the mirror going yeah you guy um you know we're getting all these beautiful voices coming to the scene bringing up some 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 truths that are sometimes hard to come to grips with you know and i'm thinking of like those the teachers that are that are trying to figure out what do i do in those for those kids um mm. but have never really had to you know like they've been used to like i'm thinking here in iowa for the most part we've had very middle class compliant populations and demographics mm. are changing um mm -hmm. it's you know, we have all walks of life as everybody does, you know, like how do we help those teachers that go, I, I don't know what to do. I, you know, like mm -hmm. I, I can mm -hmm. see Susie mm -hmm. over here or Johnny over here, mm -hmm. um, you know, but then there's also this other thing of there's this other big movement happening now, you know, with, with all the information on, on trauma informed care, which is so important to come out. And there's lots of things going, you know, don't do this, don't do that. You're not trained in this. And, mm -hmm. you know, you're kind of seeing this, all these voices come together, which I mm -hmm. think is important, but it's kind of messy right mm -hmm. now. Um, right. You know, so 
not that you have have every single solution, and we're going to have that in, in the podcast. But like, like yeah. what what are you know you talked about the observation, but what are some other things for for, for educator kind of think through um, in these mm-hmm. moments? Not that there is a black and white solution because there none of, there isn't in these situations, but maybe some mm-hmm. other things like I think those mm-hmm. questions you write off about the observation and looking at kids mm-hmm. like is important. Something that most of us do, but it's also easy. As you said, mm-hmm. we see 200 kids in a day. The bell rings every 43 minutes, and it's really easy to not see all of them mm-hmm. because it's the nature of the mm-hmm. beast of the system, you know. But what are some mm-hmm. other things that you know we might need to stop and pause and, and and kind of kind of rethink a little bit? I mean, you know, I mean that is a great question, and I mean I honestly don't have the right answer or a answer to it. It's probably multiple trajectory. Sure. I mean, one is I think one way to think about this is a reframe of this question: is what are the possibilities? that exists for me mm. in order to address this question. There's no one right way to do right, it. Right. It's how do I, right? So then the question I would have is like, what are the, what we think like the plausibilities are designed for this. And so can I prototype different ways? I think the key thing is, is that we haven't figured out the answer. And then my job as an educator is think about what are five ways that I'm going to explore this with my students. Do I need to like shadow, do I need to shadow a student for the day so they can understand, you know, how they get to school, how they get home and could I shadow someone and what do I learn from that? Is it mean that I need to go to like, um, you know, a courageous conversation or a race-based training so I can understand discourse too? Do I need to do that? You know, or do I need to think about like, how do I do, you know, observation and community and design a project around systemic oppression within this community? Like, what are the ways that we as educators need to engage in the question? Mm, I like that. Right. It's not about the solution yet. I think that, I mean, there are solutions and there's some really, you know, I think we could like dismantle testing. We can get rid <laughs> yeah, of, right, right. you know, meritocracies. <laughs> there's all these things that exist in the world that are systemic, but, you know, from an institutional perspective. And yet those might feel overwhelming, you know, to take on. And yet every single day, you know, this kid that shows up for school. And so it's the micro and the macro pieces. I think that like, if we're looking at what are the possibilities of how might explore this question and what are they going to do about it? And I think we as educators have a responsibility to find not to pay attention to the macro ecosystem that exists within a community, particularly on systemic oppression and institutional racism, racism that pervades a system. And that doesn't also mean that I need to actually start tomorrow with my child with this classroom. And that means I need to change the books in my classroom. What are the images that students are getting? What are the voices that they're hearing when they walk the day um, about their sense of belonging and their sense of purpose within that school. And I think that if we can focus, you know, that is where you can start. You know, if you walk around a school and all the images, you know, are particularly of, um, you know, more aged, I was going to say old, but like more <laughs> highly seasoned, you know, individuals who are all white and yet you have a population that's not, what's going on with that? Like, yeah. what is message is that being sent? Mm. So there's lots of, when I go back to the noticing, observing is like, what are the um, indirect indirect messages that are being sent to students around their sense of belonging and their sense of and sense of purpose within a classroom within a school. And, and that is constantly evolving. And also like, also pretty, you know, you can actually move that needle. Yeah. You know, there are ways to move that. Um, and that actually take, just takes a lot of reflection and a lot of really close observation about like, how would I feel in this space? What's going on here? If I'm in the white dominant culture, what does this mean for my young student that's coming into that space? And they're about a series of questions, not about a solution, I think. Yeah. And I think that's so powerful. I mean, I can't, 
once again help but think of like that's the very essence of what we want with our students in the classroom is to to have this inquiry mindset of of what are all these questions that I mm-hmm. want to have answers to you know I mean you know any sort of engaging learning experience is, is producing oftentimes more questions than answers and you know I just I, I was writing down here like what a what a powerful like individual career development plan or like a school professional development plan where the plan isn't some jumping through the hoops but is simply mm-hmm. to gather all the questions to the things that we see and you know yeah. and to start to build like your own little coalition of you know we're not going to solve this in one year I just wonder how many teachers would would, would, would really I think embrace something like that because those are questions that are going to have some some hard truths um, mm-hmm. and some hard dismantling that no one wants to do alone um, That's you right. know, especially in a lot of schools like I have in, where I work in Iowa, where the staff is almost nine times out of 10, all white, maybe a handful mm-hmm. of non-white and your population doesn't reflect that. Um, yeah. And so, you know, the, the indirect messages are very, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's not that like they're saying, oh no, we're only going to hire white. I mean, a lot mm-hmm. of it, it's the pool and things like that, but you know, how do you help kids see themselves, you know, mm-hmm. um, and the people that, that are supposed to be models and mentors, you know, and, and so I yeah. think there's, there's lots of, I think, really powerful conversations that could come from something like that. And I think, the, you know, the piece on it that's also, as you said, doing the hard adaptive work or the hard work is that like, is the idea that there's a, there's an assumption that we know how to solve the, the answers mm-hmm. or we need to come, we need how to, we need to solve the question. We know how to solve it. Right. And there, there is an inherent like oppression or like this question of d- dominance, like, oh, we're going to put out the questions and we're going to be able to solve them. We don't got this. We don't, do not have the answers. <laughs> and so this reversal of power and this like opening up the space for other questions to emerge, not just from the adult community, within the parent community, within the student community. Like what are the questions? I think these are community led questions um that should be done in community you know the the idea that a a teaching population is going to you know that predominantly is um of one race and serves a race that's quite different of a white teaching population and and students of color the idea that these teachers can figure it out (laughs) for the students is just like it actually is quite the opposite of what we're trying to see when we think about um oppression or systemic oppression and so just relieving ourselves of that narrative and saying how do i listen how do I actually go in and observe and listen and talk to students and hearing what questions they have, ideas they have, and really minimizing the power that you have in your voice and really opening your, the space up for um, other people to share their voices. Um, students will have, I mean, all, I think all of us as educators know that students have the best ideas and they see things way better than we can because they're in it and they see it. And so how do we just make space for that to be, for their observations and their insights to be heard? Um, and what questions they have, you know, then they will have better questions. I guarantee it. And so, you know, how do we just give space for that in this pursuit of addressing all of these questions that we probably won't be able to answer within a short time, but we definitely need to start raising those questions up, um, and elevating them. Right. Right. I mean, you you can't have the solutions until you start to to ask the questions, to find the right Right. questions that need to have the solutions. You know, it's kind of what comes first, the chicken or the egg. Well, in this case, we have to start with the questions. And um, it reminds me of, uh, I was talking with, um, 
at Stella Church, and she was a Global Teacher Prize finalist in 2017, and just asking, like, how do you get the kids, because kids in her classroom do some really, really powerful projects on some very hard, important social matters. I was like, how do you, like, how do you make that happen in the classroom? Because, like, most teachers would be terrified to go where you're taking kids, and, you know, time and time again, she's like, trust the students, you know, and I think that, yeah. you know, we yeah. hear we hear voice and choice and student voice, like, that stuff just gets yeah. permeated over and over, but are we really, really allowing the, the true voice to come through, you know, and, right. and, and that idea of, you know, voice and choice is more than I have a tic-tac-toe board and I allow you to pick three options from there. Like, okay, that's, that's something, right. but this is not, this, right. this is, this is, we're talking true authentic voice to really yeah. get to the heart of the matter. And there's lots of ways in. I think that like, you know, I think that we get overwhelmed by these massive undertakings. Like I'm going to have my students design this social justice project and then it's like a semester long thing. And that is one way in. You could totally do that. And, and, and if, if someone is feeling like that's their passion, do that. Like by no means don't, I'm not saying don't. And I also think that like, what are the other grain sizes that you can really get into? Does that mean you have like a weekly lunch chat and you bring students in that you just don't see and you buy lunch for them just so you can listen to their experience and their stories? And does that help you do a project? If that means like you every Friday, you have a different way of teaching that allows you to play with stuff or do you give over the microphone to another student that wants to take what, what, what is the method that allows someone that, to start feeling comfortable to take um, some creative confidence and shifting going back to that. And also like really letting the voices of the students like dictate the learning. And you can do that in so many different ways from like shadowing doing a project or just like, I'm going to have lunch with students and I'm just going to like hear their stories and yeah. really hear what's going on with them. And and then what does that mean? And what's the insight or what is the insight that I get from that? So I think that like to not overwhelm ourselves with like, you have to design this massive thing, but like what is the way that you can start that feels um, that's going to help you learn. Right. Not necessarily like, you don't have to, obviously, like, it's not about like, oh, I have to do this big project or this big design challenge. It's all of this is in pursuit of learning. Mm. It's all about the learning. Yeah, yeah. It's not about the thing. And it's like <laughs> keeping that frame in mind of like, what is going to be the best way? What's the best learning experience that I can design for myself? And then with my students, that's going to help me learn more. And that looks differently based on your community, based on people's comfort level, um, and the pedagogies that they align themselves to. Yeah, and it goes back to what you said earlier. I mean, it starts with the most fundamental thing that we need to do, and that's just simply listen. <laughs> you know, yeah. and provide those opportunities for the voices to be heard, and when they when they are brave enough to speak and be vulnerable to share those ideas, to sit back and listen, and do nothing mm -hmm. more than than listen, and to yeah. remind yourself that that's okay. <laughs> you know, because I think yeah. that sometimes we think we have to listen and then move into action, because I think that's just like an innate trait in educators that we want to fix and mend and heal and solve like all the time and, and you know mm -hmm. and not that we can't do those things but it's mm -hmm. not right away you know there's you know there, right. there, there's no band-aid that's going to uh magically cure some of these these bigger issues and so it's just giving yourself permission to simply do that uh listen and, mm -hmm. and, and nothing more Laura, this and has I been think, oh go ahead this, go ahead yeah, I, yeah. I, my only question on that and the last kind of comment i have is like the power of the listening is the healing of listening and you know this question that like no one's broken you know people have had traumatic experiences right. we're all broken in different ways yeah and so the, the the idea that we can solve in it because we want to do good in the world and that it comes from a really like heartfelt place like we want to help someone and we see a trauma and we want to heal and we want to help but i think that the sometimes if we can just allow ourselves to listen it is through the listening that healing 
you know, people don't need a solution. They just want to be seen. Yes. People will find their solutions often. They do want solutions eventually, but ultimately it's about feeling seen and feeling that they belong. And that is not about the new app. It's not about the project and about the calendar. It's about feeling heard and feeling seen. And the power of listening to stories um, in the community and with your students is the is the way to heal. Yeah. And I think, and, you know, and I think sometimes, too, it's even the idea like it's not always our place to be the person that heals or mends. And I, that's really, really hard for, for all of us, whether you're an educator or a parent or a grandparent, whatever you are, like sometimes it's just not your place. Uh, you know, we were doing a global project and, and we were working with a refugee camp in, in, in Africa. And, you know, we we're doing a conversation. We, we did weekly little mini, mini little driving questions each week and we we're conversating on Flipgrid back and forth with, with the kids in the refugee camp and um, incredibly powerful and the one of the first things that happens and it happens anytime you, you you move beyond your own kind of country or state is the kids start to feel like they feel bad for the kids oh you know and we had to have this very tough cop like we had to nip that in the bud like these kids aren't engaging with you for a pity party they are they are proud people. They are happy. Yes, would they like some support and guidance because they they simply don't have enough to maybe survive in some ways? Yes, but they're not asking for handouts. Like yeah. this is not this is not the goal of this project is to yeah. have this this first world American mindset that we feel bad that we have quote unquote it better than you. Like I think we're missing out on some things. You know, when we talked about how they have a set tea time every day, I was like, when's the last time that any of you mm. took ten minutes? no devices, no TV, <laughs> and you simply sat with family or friends and you just asked how the day was going. Or maybe you observed yeah. the weather. Like like they have some things going on that we need to be applying in our lives. And I think, you know, uh, so a lot of that is that same thing of working through. Like it's not always our place to be the, the quote unquote miracle worker. Like, that's, yeah. you know, um, there's a time and place for it, but not yeah. all the time. And it's also like, that's a, too much of a burden too. It's like, it's really about convening the space. Yes. And, you know, and like, what's the space that I, we're not going to be the person to solve it, but we are the person that can create the space yeah. for, for those solutions to emerge. And I think that's when we think about learning or project-based learning, it's really about what is my role as a learning experience designer in my classroom and how do I create space for my students to be seen and for those solutions that they already know it exist for them to be realized within the community, um, not dictated by what I think needs to happen. Yeah, yeah. And I think if nothing else, it, 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 we could be the, the space that turns on the light bulb for a student that goes, this is really where I, I want to spend my time, you know, as I navigate life going forward and yeah. for other kids they're going to be like you know this it's not my cup of tea and and both paths are, are perfectly fine and i think sometimes it's it's, it's the the exposure and the experiences and the opportunities um are so so powerful and unfortunately you know you don't always get, get to see that in a school year because you know you're dealing with young kids or middle school kids and sometimes kids don't figure it out till they're much later in life mm -hmm. but you never know like what that could trigger too. So I think that that's also a, you know, an, an important element for us is as we think about the, these experiences. So Laura, I want to be respectful of your time. Um, this has been phenomenal. Some deep, powerful thoughts for everyone listening in today to, I think do nothing else, but in this case, truly listen to the podcast, you know, and, and just think about what are those, those small steps that, that, that we can all do back in, in our classrooms and with our colleagues and, and the work that we do um, to start to make that nudge in the right direction and, and, and whatever that direction is. Um, but Laura, if people want to follow your work, learn more about what you do, um, because I'm sure 
half the people that listen to this podcast are well aware of your work. If they've read my blog, they, they see your name mm-hmm. and your work all the time. And there's lots of people who are going, holy cow, I need to learn more about all the work that this person's doing. Yeah. Where can, can they reach out, find you and, and, and uh, learn more? Um, you know, my Twitter, just my name, Laura.McBain, of course. Uh, and then really check out our KHL lab, um, you know, .edu website. We've got lots of resources. We're constantly putting out prototypes and resources that are downloadable and executable for educators to take and try. And so we have a, a whole slew of resources on our DSchool website about just taking and trying and um, trying to get creative uh, in your classroom. For all of you that listen, you know all the links and everything will be in the show notes for you to check out when you're not driving in your car or exercising, whatever it is that you're doing to listen to this. And so definitely check it out. Make sure you add these links and, and Laura to, to your learning network uh, because it's another great asset to have that will continue to support the work that you do and, and everything else. And so, Laura, I, I can't thank you enough to uh, that you took some time to chat with me today. It's such an honor. and. Holy cow, what a uh, powerful conversation. So thank you for all that you do, not just because you're on my podcast, but the work mm-hmm. that you do for all the educators um, around the world. It's uh, great work that you do, and I know you don't do it alone. You do it with a huge team. Um, or maybe it's a small team. I don't know. You have a team <laughs> along with you. Uh, so, yeah. you know, and so thank you for, for leading the way and, and, and making us think and uh, moving to action. Cool. Well, thank you so much. I really, It was a great conversation, and it's always good to chat with you.